0: So turn with me here to Ezra chapter 7. We're going to read um, just the first 10 verses of Ezra chapter 7. And the focus of our thoughts will come from the final two verses of our reading. Ezra chapter 7. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, Son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aram, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he had asked for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, and singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month. He came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The thought that God placed on my heart, and what I want to bring to you today and what you will likely have to just hold on to for a moment as we work our way through this passage of Scripture is deserts, swamps, and rivers. Deserts, swamps, and rivers. Ezra, and again, we heard a good lesson Thursday night about some of the historical setting. I won't take time to readdress all of that. But Ezra is going to be used of the Lord to bring a gathering of people from Babylon to Israel. The journey is going to take four months to go from Babylon to Israel. And we think often about the snippets of time that we see in Scripture and the moments where the plot seems to come to a head. And we forget very Mm. frequently Mm. the day-to-day grind and the day-to-day reality of what it must have been like to follow God in the Old Testament and to follow God here specifically when every day they got up for four months and traveled and journeyed from Babylon to Israel. Ezra is going to be used of the Lord to, to encourage a group of people to leave, to get up and go away from what had become home, what had become the place of their livelihood, what had become the place where their children, no doubt, had become very comfortable. Because we remember what Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and by this point it's Persia and Cyrus who had overcome Babylon, but at the time, Nebuchadnezzar had taken the youth and taught them the Babylonian language, fed them the Babylonian food, dressed them with Babylonian clothes. And so, for the most part, much of these people that were in Babylon had become very Babylonian in their thinking, in their comforts, and what they wanted out of the world. And Ezra's going to be used to bring people out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. And we live today in a time that I believe that many Christians need to be taken and brought out of Babylon, brought away from the world and brought closer To where God wants them to be. Here in the Old Testament. That very much had something to do with where they were physically. God wanted them back in Israel. He had promised the prophets. When he had told the prophets the exile and the destruction of Israel was coming. And the exile of Judah was coming. He told them but there will be a point at which I will bring you home. And I will bring you back. So God wanted his people back in Israel. It was his intention. And his blessing. Today, it's a spiritual way of living. I don't believe necessarily that it is a place physically. I believe you can be God's, one of God's people. The church of the Lord can exist anywhere on the planet where there are a people who are following Him. But there is a way of living in this world where you are living in a desert, or you are living in a swamp, or are you, living, you are living in a living. Next to a river. And you are either a river, a swamp, or a desert spiritually. And I want to look at at Ezra. How did he get these people? And they were few, they were not the majority, not by any stretch, but he brought some out. How did he do this? How can we impact the friends, the family? The co-workers, the people that we long to see with with the Lord and walking with Him in their lives. How can we become someone like Ezra to be that kind of person? And I I can think of little else that would be worth my time in all of my life than to be somebody that God uses to encourage people around me to come follow the Lord. And I'm either going to be a desert Christian, a swamp Christian, or a river Christian. And there's one that we want to be, and you might put it together already, and two that we do not. And we want to talk about that and and maybe open that up a little bit about what we mean by saying it as we go through. But to begin in verse 10, and we'll end here as well, Ezra, we are told, had set his heart. He had set his heart. How do we become people that are an encouragement to those around us to follow God? First, step one. Step one is to set your heart. And to set in the Hebrew, it means to prepare, to make ready, to firmly resolve. There is the sense in this Hebrew word that was translated had set. A, a sense of an intention to move toward a certain goal. Ezra had an intention. He had set his heart. He had purpose. There is a deliberate uh, movement. There is an intention. The intentionality of Ezra leaps off the page. First, we must set our heart, and in in Ezra's place, and in. His position here, he has set his heart upon the Lord, we know, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. But first, it is a setting of our heart. You know anybody in your life that seems to live their life with no set direction, no settled purpose or goal? They're just kind of drifting in the world wherever the wind might take them. And it seems that they go from day to day to day. And if you talk with them today and you come back and talk with them a year, five years, 10 years later, there seems to be no sense of progress toward a goal. That's what this world will do to you and to me. We'll just live every day. And if we don't set our hearts on an intention, on a purpose that's greater than what this world can give us, we'll just kind of drift with the wind, and will not be a type of person who encourages people around us to follow God, to find Him, and to set Him as the north star of their life. To say, He is where you want to go. He is who you want to be with. My heart is set, Ezra would say. I have said it. I am being intentional about this. And the word heart, we think of that word in a certain way, but the Hebrew word heart, it means the inner self, the inclination, the person, a person's disposition, their determination, their will, is what we would often say, what they want to do. That's what the Scripture means when it uses the word heart, particularly in the Old Testament. This is who this person is. It's what they think, it's what they feel, it's what they desire, it's what they know, it is them. And Ezra had set then himself, had he not? He had set himself. In, in another sense of this word heart, it is the, the locus or the focus of a person's thoughts his volition or his or her emotions and knowledge of right from wrong, their conscience, and it's understood altogether as the heart. And Ezra had set his heart. He had set himself. When you wake up in the morning, you think about setting yourself toward God setting and and establishing and being purposeful and consciously aware of your goals and your intention. Again, here in the purest sense, Ezra had set himself to know the Lord. Ezra was a man with a singular focus to know the Lord and His Word. That was Ezra's purpose in his life. That was his goal. We're reminded of the psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 4 where we read, One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that one thing will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing, one great focus, one overriding goal. Ezra had set himself to seek this goal. Goal. To establish his life and his purpose and his heart upon God. Ezra had seen firsthand the result of a nation that no longer set themselves to know God. And so too have you and I. We've seen the results of a nation that's turned its face from God and turned its face toward the world. And the things that are in the world, Ezra had seen it firsthand. He saw the devastation that always follows when a people place something else as the singular focus of their lives. He'd seen it firsthand. He saw the broken homes. He saw the broken lives. He saw the devastation of the temple and the people that he shared his citizenship with and Israel, how they had been trampled and overcome. And Ezra made it his focus when few others were doing so to set his heart on God. Don't think for a minute that the fact that few are doing this takes you and I off the hook don't lower the bar because so many others have. Don't hold yourself to the standard of a world that no longer holds itself to the standard of God. Set your heart like Ezra on God. Make this, like Ezra did, your focus again, even when few others were doing so. You know, Zerubbabel came back much earlier than Ezra did and he brought 50,000 people with him. And we think... Fifty thousand. Well, that's a lot of people that went home to to Jerusalem. Until we remember that millions went into exile, and even if there was just one million that had gone from Jerusalem to Babylon, if fifty thousand came back, that's five percent, one out of a hundred, or five out of a hundred, went back to Jerusalem, and ninety-five chose to stay. In Babylon, 95 out of 100 did not choose to set their heart upon God, but Ezra did. Ezra set his heart and his intention and his life upon knowing the Lord. Had Ezra not set his heart on doing so, he would, without question, have been one of the 95. And so too will you and I. If we do not set our hearts firmly Establish, to to commit, and to uh, resolve in our hearts to follow God and His Word, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. We would be and we will be one of the 95. So I ask you today, where is your heart? Where is it set? What is it set upon? Where are you today? Are you with the five out of the hundred? who daily are striving and upon your knees and in His Word saying, God, help me to gather others. Help me to be among those five. Help me to love those who are not. But are you among the five or are you among the 95 others who see no need to make God the focal point of their lives when you look around you in your life? When you examine your life, when you look around, are you with the relatively few? Or are you with the relatively many? Going along with the world? Are you dressed like the few? Or do you wear the clothes of the many? Are you do you speak more easily with the few? Does conversation with God and His people come more easily to you than it does with the world? Does speaking with these few have set their heart with God come easier to you than speaking with those who are among the 95? Do you prefer the company of the few or would you rather be among the many? Does your heart find rest and comfort seeking God and the few or do you prefer to treat your anxieties and your fears by standing among the many? There'll be a lot of people out there and sometimes we can fall to the idea that being among the many is where safety is. But safety is always only in God, not with the many. It's with God and those who set their heart. And Ezra set his focus on the Lord when there were plenty, by the way, of other things he could have set it on. Plenty of other options just like you and I have. We've got a lot of options, don't we? To set our hearts on every day. God won't force you To do this, you will not set your heart on God if it is not something that you consciously desire to do. God will not be the focal point of your life if you do not set your heart first upon Him. So this again is step one of this four-step process. He will not remain the focal point of your life if you do not continually set your heart upon Him. If you don't believe that, If you don't believe that you can not purposely set your heart on God and that you can be just as close to Him as you would otherwise, I would caution you. You just go out and live your life not setting your heart on God and you find out what happens quickly, suddenly. You'll find yourself without Him. And Ezra's intention, his purpose, his heart again was set upon this one thing. And he remained to focus his heart upon that and continued to do so. And again, there are so many other things. Easier things, by the way. Easier things to focus on. It will come your way to distract you from God. To distract you from this one focus. So many things in this life. This world is, is almost it's like sensory overload. There's just so many things. There will always be some new trinket, some some new guru to follow, some new job to obtain, some new house to buy, some new hobby to pursue. One thing after another will present itself to you and in almost every case, those other things will be easier to set your heart on. They'll be easier because the 95, that's what they set their heart on. And so it's easier to go along and to get along. But listen, following God in this enemy land is not easy. We should not expect it to be. God never told us it was going to be. Certainly we know He's told us just the opposite. We could read a number of Scriptures, but we quote the Lord in Matthew 10, 25 when He says it is enough for the disciple to be like His teacher. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? It's going to be easier to go the way of the world and to set your heart upon the things of this life than it is to set your heart on God. Here it is. The enemy is going to distract He is going to put many easier things in your path. We are so accustomed to, in fact, I would say addicted to, easy, that we have almost begun to think of the hard as by default wrong. If this is hard, then it must be that I'm doing something wrong. We have heard... The honey-coated poison of the false prophet who tells us that God wants us to have health, wealth, and prosperity in this world, and we've heard it and listened to it so long that we have ignored the countless places in Scripture where we are told the exact opposite. That false prophet will drip his poison into your mouth and he'll hide it with a little bit of sweetness. And it'll sound really good. After all, isn't God interested in our happiness and contentment? And yes, He is, but He's interested in our eternal happiness and contentment far more than our temporary here. We aren't supposed to be seeking an easy life in this world. We aren't supposed to be seeking an easy life in this world. It's not the command of God. We are supposed to be seeking deliverance from this world. Not ease in it. To seek deliverance from this world is to seek God. That's what the word salvation, by the way, at its core means. Deliverance. Deliverance. Delivered from sin to righteousness. Delivered from lost to being found. Delivered from separation from God to presence with Him. And Ezra set his heart first upon God, to seek God. And I pray that we would do the same, that that is step one. Set a set heart on God. But it's not all of what he did. He set his heart on God. It goes on to say in verse 10, he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to know it. That's what he wanted to do. He had set his heart on God. He had set his heart to know the law of the Lord. It would be difficult to estimate the spiritual damage that has been done by the idea that seeking God and seeking His Word and the knowledge of His Word are two different things. It isn't. It can be, but it ought not to be. It's not why God gave it to us. This... This idea that we can seek, that to seek God is not to seek his word or that we can seek one without the other. This leads to one of two extremes in every case. In the first case, a man or a woman, they believe themselves to know God because they have made him out to be what they want him to be. What maybe even others have told them he is but have not for themselves read this word and known God for who He says He is. This extreme where men's opinions, their beliefs, their traditions, they all conspire together to form an image of God, an idol of a God, lowercase g, and not a picture of the God, uppercase g. And they do so because they have not studied the law of God, to know what God has said to make an image of their own mind of who God is rather than who God has said He is in His Word. This is rampant, by the way, among, quote, good people. Make God out to be who we want Him to be, who we define as good, what we define as good rather than what God has defined in His Word. And Ezra said, no, no I will not do that. I am committing myself, Ezra said, to study the law of the Lord, to know what it says. But then you have the other extreme, a man or a woman who believes they know God because they've read the Bible and attended church all their lives. But there's no fire in their heart of a knowledge of God, a presence with Him, a knowledge of Him, a song as you sing with God's people where suddenly it seems God's His presence and His Spirit comes and says, with this I am pleased. A time when you've got the Scripture open before you and a set heart open before God. God, I want to know what You have said. I want to know You. And these two extremes, they compete and combat one another and Satan laughs all the while because both extremes are wrong. One where God becomes who we want Him to be rather than who He said He is because we do not study His Word. The second extreme where we read His Word but we divide it and separate it from Him. And in this second group, it's religious dogma, behaviors, legalism. These are the typical results of this extreme. And it's rampant among religious people trying to buy God's pleasure with their superior academic knowledge of the Bible these two groups typically spend their lives fighting with each other and the fight goes on and on and on because both have a piece of what is right spoiled by what is wrong. And that's the idea that you can seek to know God separate and apart from seeking to know His Word and what He has said. Don't fall into either of these extremes. As you set your heart on God, understand and realize I must set my heart on God's Word and Him, both and not one or the other. Understand again that setting your heart on God and setting your heart on His Word are the same thing. Without both, you actually have neither. They're they're two sides of the same coin. When you open your Bible, when you open your Bible, and I pray you do often, I want to encourage you that when those pages open, that you pause just at least for a moment. You pause and you consider and you remember who wrote those words. Remember that He is alive today. Remember that the Spirit of God the third person of the Trinity has been sent to commune with you in reality. And that it's not just you with your Bible open, it's you and the Spirit of God with your Bible opened. That if that Bible is not open, the Spirit has, uh, can certainly continue to move and work in your life, but that's not the intention that God gave for His people. He's written us, this book. Remember and so pause. And I I think I phrased it this way in, in The Lost Anchor. There should be a spiritual catching of our breath when we open the Scriptures. God, this is Your Word. Set your heart to study the law of the Lord. This is step two. Set your heart, first of all, Upon God, and then set it to study the law of the Lord. No one becomes skilled, as it describes Ezra here, no one becomes skilled in the law of the Lord without first setting their heart upon the Lord and His law. You don't, by accident, become knowledgeable of what God has said in His Word. You just don't. Ezra wanted the law of the Lord to be in his bones. Ezra wanted the law of the Lord to provide strength in the dark hours of despair and discouragement that can so quickly overtake us in this life. He wanted God's word close to his heart and immediately on the tip of his tongue and in his mind and his heart when those waves of despair and those waves of discouragement come over us in our life, he wanted it ready at hand. He wanted it to provide words with which he could praise God in song. He wanted the word of God to protect him from his own weaknesses and failures. To correct him when his thoughts were contrary to God's law. To show him and to reprove him when he was thinking wrongly. To give voice to thoughts far above himself to God in prayer. And I will tell you this, there is something I think of a spiritual maturity that can be measured by this. How often are you repeating God's word back to him in prayer? How often does that scripture come to heart to express things that you've, you've read in his word and said, God, that is true. Help me to know it and to put it in my heart. He, Ezra wanted his mind and his heart to be so in tune with God and his law that his immediate response to the circumstances in his life were guided by God's word to have Scripture so ready at hand that it leapt into his mind the moment that it was needed. That's how Ezra looked at the law of God. I want to know it, he said. I want to know what you have said. I remember as a young preacher a similar thing taking hold of my heart and I will not claim to come 1% of the distance Ezra has here in these 20 plus years, 25 plus years, but there was something in my heart. I, God, need to know what you've said. This book. What you have said. God, help me to set my heart upon you and your law. And if you and I do not set our hearts on the law of the Lord, If you don't, you will live in a spiritual desert. O God, the psalmist says in verse 1 of chapter 63, You are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water without the law of God guiding your thoughts and your life, you will live your life in a spiritual desert where there is no truth. And there's application here, by the way, for lost and saved. If you have never come to God and set your heart to know Him and His law, then this world and your life will forever be a desert place to you. If you do know the Lord, but you are not setting your heart daily upon Him and His law, you will live a life very similar to that of an unbeliever. Absent of the Word of God. Your life will go from scorching heat to frigid cold. With only brief reprieves from both as day turns to night and night to day. And these brief reprieves at best provide you a daily glimpse only of the comfort that you are longing to find, but that continually eludes you as you go from one experience to another in this life, not setting your heart on God. Your life will go from scorching heat to frigid cold, never at rest, never at peace you will begin to resemble the few things that grow in the desert like a cactus. You might figure out a way to squeeze some sort of life out of your days and endure the terrible heat of the day and cold of the night, but have you ever tried to hug a cactus? You'll not have the warmth of fellowship with God or His people you'll live out in a desert place where there's no companionship no not really sure there's the 95 but it's 95 people who are alone instead of the 5 who are with God but if you don't set your heart to know the law of the Lord you're going to live your life in a desert place Absent of the comfort that it brings. So examine your heart and see and be honest with yourself and with God. See if you have set it to study the law of the Lord or not. Be honest as you do that examination. Have you ever observed? Have you ever been a parent and have you ever observed a child who's plainly, clearly lying to their parent? And it's abundantly obvious that the parent knows the truth to watch that child try to spin their tail. It's how we are with God when we try to fool Him. He just kind of looks at us, shakes his head, I think. You're trying to fool me? You think I don't know? Yeah, you can fool people around you, but you can't fool me. So set your heart on God. And if it's not there, pray and ask God that He would help you to do it and do so today. Today. If you have before, but your heart is wandering in the desert, reset your heart to study God's law. Step one, set your heart. Step two, set it on the law of God. Step three, we are told here that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Well, the outline of a sermon like this from Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 just makes itself and to do it step three to live this law step one is wonderful step one is essential step one is though just that it's step one so many people think that learning studying and knowing god's law is enough let me assure you it isn't it's not and And perhaps in my ministry and in my life, I have been guilty even of of that something of an insinuation. And if I ever have, I beg God to forgive me. And I beg you to as well. Knowing God's law is not enough. Knowing this book from front to back, upside down, backward and forward, the the chronology, all of these things are good, but they're step one. And they are essential. They are important. But it's just step one. One, step one without going on to step two is dangerous. Or here in step three, knowing knowing God's law and wanting to know God's law, if that's where we stop, it's dangerous because it is to directly disobey God, to know what He has said, but not do it. James tells us this in verse 25 of chapter 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I will tell you this, setting your heart is necessary. Setting your heart to know God's law, reading this book, studying it, and I mean doing the work of studying it. Is good and it is necessary, but it is not the end. In fact, all it does is bring you to a place of greater responsibility before God. Ezra had not set his heart to study just to know and impress his fellow scribes, teachers, or anyone else. It's not why he set his heart to know God's law. He didn't want to know God's law so that he could sound wise and impressive in the temple, so that when he put on his robes of a priest, Uh, And he could regurgitate and tell and, 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 and quote the Old Testament. That wasn't his point. He had set his heart to study so that, so that he would know how to do it, how to live it, to know what to do in his life, to know how to approach God, to know when and where to approach God, to live his life pleasing to God. If living life without step one is living a life in the desert. Living life here without steps one and two where you set your heart even and you learn and you study and you are taught and you are told again and again in various ways through sermons and Bible studies and even perhaps your own reading, but you get there only and you do not take step three of living it. You are living in a swamp. Things flow into a swamp, but they rarely flow out. Perhaps you are continually taking in things into your heart and mind from the law of the Lord, maybe even by osmosis. Maybe you are one who has been blessed by God to have parents who have insisted that you come and hear the word of God. And that you are taught the Word of God. That is wonderful. That is step one and two. They are necessary. But if that is the end of it and you do not do the law of the Lord, you, I'm telling you today, are living in a spiritual swamp. Things flow in, but then they just stagnate. And the water just sits. Swamps are dreary places, unpleasant odors. Stagnant waters of a swamp breed mosquitoes and decay and darkness. And again, there's application here for lost and saved alike. If you're lost and you don't know the Lord in all, in all things, you see nothing in this world but the muck and the decay and the mud. The more you try to make yourself righteous, the dirtier you become because all of this truth is around you. And when you touch it, it just reveals to you your uncleanness. And because you do not repent and believe, which is to do the thing that the gospel calls you to do, you live your life in the swamp of sin. Perhaps God's law flows to you, over you, around you, near you, but never through you. It just stagnates. If you're saved, you see the world, don't you? You see the world as the swamp it is because you know enough truth from God's Word that you realize that this world is lost and broken and a place of decay, sin, and darkness. But because you do not obey God's law, that you know because you've done step one and two, and now you know it, but you do not do it as Ezra did. You do not obey it, and you are continually, even though you're continually reading and studying it, your life resembles a swamp, where for you too, every new discovery in God's law is not put into practice, and it becomes stagnant, and actually a point of judgment. And you too, the more you try to do and go about in your life, the more truth you know. And do we not read that in Scripture? To whom much is given, much is required. So as the truth of God's word comes into your life, if you're not doing it, it's just going to gather around you. And it's just going to be one thing after another of a witness to you to say, you're not doing what you know you should be doing. And your spiritual life is going to look like a swamp. Maybe not a desert, right? It's not absent of the truth. You know it. There's truth around you and near you, but it's just stagnant. It's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. Is that where you are maybe? Have you been here before? I have. Oh, I can't tell you the times I have been praying, just feeling stagnant. know all these things and God will just reveal one little thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing and I haven't done it. And I wonder why I feel stagnant and why everything feels dark and despair and depressing. Where, by the way, in a swamp, no crops can grow. Where nothing can truly take root except the natural things of the world finally step four a heart as we read here from Ezra a heart set to teach others God's law Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and it's still not finished and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel step four a heart set to teach others God's law we now come to the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Just now. We've had step one, step two, step three, but we still weren't there. We still were not where we were aiming. We still were not where we were going. We were on our way. We were pointed in the right direction and our necessary places to go, but we're not where we're supposed to be. Yet, we set our hearts to know God, to study His law, to do His law so that we will teach His law to others. This is the destination towards which we, Ezra here, and we should be striving. This is where the Christian life is to be heading. Again, this is the goal. This is the aim. This is the reason for all that we do to teach the law of the Lord to those we love and to those, all of those around us. And the order is important in this verse. Step one is essential to step two. You cannot, or at least you will not, set your heart to study God's law if you have not first set your heart to know God. If your intention is not to know God, then you will not set your heart to study his word. So step one is essential to step two. Steps one and two are essential to step three. You will not set your heart to do God's law, which is step three, if you have not first set your heart to know God and to know His Word. You can't do what you don't know. You can't follow where you've not been led. You can't understand what you've not heard. Only then, in step, if step one and two are in place, is step three possible. And finally, steps one, two, and three are essential to this ultimate goal of step four. You cannot effectively teach God's law. You cannot effectively, and I use that word intentionally, you cannot effectively teach God's law if you have not first set your heart to know God, second, set your heart to know God's law, third, to do His law, to follow Him, to obey, to live what you're teaching. I would encourage you to do some reverse engineering in your life right now. If you're not telling others about God and his word, backtrack through these steps and find out where and which step is missing. Because one of them surely is. One of them must be. It might be that you need to go all the way back to step one and start there and set your heart and say, I know that there is more to this world than this world has presented to me. I know it, and I am setting my heart on that reality. And then I'm going to set my heart to know God and His Word. Maybe that's, though, where you've faltered. Maybe you've desired to follow God and you have a desire to know Him. But you're faltering a little bit on setting your heart to do the work necessary To study God's law. To read it. To discuss it together with other brothers and sisters. Maybe you've become a bit misguided in your pursuit of knowing God's law and have separated the knowledge of God's law from the knowledge of God himself, like so many others have. Perhaps it's step three where you're stumbling. You know God and his law, but you are stuck in the swamp of ever-increasing knowledge but failing to live according to that knowledge. Maybe that's where you're stumbling. Truth is flowing into you. It's flowing near you. But it's not flowing out of you. And your life spiritually has become a swamp. Of the many things that God makes clear in His Word, which we cannot miss when we truly study it, it is that God wants us to share the gospel with the world. You can't read this book without knowing God's intention is that all the world know Him and that He has sent His people into the world to tell them about it. From the exodus in Egypt, even prior to that with Noah and the flood, all the way through, God says, I am calling you as My people so that the world might know that I am God. He does not want us to hide from the world and open our Bibles from a safe distance. A distance where we won't feel the pressure politically that we will feel in this life and in this world nowadays. He wants us to open our Bibles and engage with the world. He does not want us to live spiritually in the desert with little to no knowledge of Him. He does not want us to live in the spiritual swamp created when we add to our knowledge of God, but by by default add to our disobedience to Him as well by not doing it. He instead wants us to be more like a spring or a river through which His Word flows into the world. Do you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman? This is what he told her in verse 13 and 40 that the Lord did. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, this water from Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water or the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When we drink the water of Christ, we become a spring of water through which the word of God should freely flow out into the world. Note the words of Christ, the water he gives us will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So I beg you and I beg our church, I beg everyone who knows the Lord, teach others about God and his law especially in the day in which it's becoming less and less popular to do so. I encourage you and I exhort you to do as Ezra did. Teach others about God. Teach them by your kindness. Teach them by your faithfulness. Teach them by your unwavering commitment to being with God and His people on the Lord's day. Teach them by by the way you spend your free time. Teach them by the way you spend your money. Teach them by your diligence, honesty, and integrity at work and school. Teach them by your behavior. Teach them by your words. Teach them by your willingness to walk when the walk is difficult. Teach them by your sincerity and lack of hypocrisy. Teach them by your continuing repentance and acknowledgement of your own weaknesses and sin. Teach them by providing for them what God's word says about everything in life. Teach them by pointing them to Christ. Teach them by setting eternity before their eyes. Teach them by being a disciple, which is a student of God. Teach your children. Teach your friends. Teach your coworkers. Teach your enemies. Teach the world. What God has said, become an avenue that the word of God might go out into the world. It is amazing to me. It is just simply amazing to me that how teaching in the Christian life has been lost in our day. It seems to be all about experiences, entertainment, worldly success and a great many other things that have little to do with the teaching of God's word. But that's where Ezra's heart was. I have a pretty good idea who encouraged this lack of teaching and who would be pleased by this lack of teaching and it isn't God. It's the enemy of your eternal soul. I am looking at people who will be somewhere a thousand years from right now. And you, as you go about your life, you are looking and speaking with people who are going to be somewhere a thousand years from right now. Ezra set his heart. He set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach it. These four steps. Have you set your heart on God to study His Word, to obey His Word, and to teach others His Word? You can spend your life in one of these three spiritual places. The desert, the swamp, or a river. And you will spend your life in one of these three spiritual places. Set your heart on God. Commit. Determine. Make ready. Prepare. Be intentional. And then follow. And then follow. The Lord's dealing with you today. He's shown you where you are spiritually. Spiritually. Maybe you've made progress at different times in your life. You've been all the way through. You've shared your testimony. You've shared the Word of God. You've taught someone. And then there are times where the teaching and the knowledge that you gain just kind of stops and stagnates and sits at your feet and becomes a judgment and a a mirror. Or maybe you're out there in the desert. You don't hear the truth of God's Word much at all because you don't surround yourself with it. Take Ezra's pattern. Time is short. Your life is fleeting. Your opportunities are few. Make every use of all of them and it starts with a heart set on God, to study His Word, to obey Him, and to teach others. It's absolutely